What's going on, everybody? We're back again with our second Giants episode, of course, here with my guy Novello. Novello, man, we've said the past couple of years that it always just seems that the Giants find a way to lose games. And this past weekend, I mean, that was no exception. 17-14 loss to Atlanta. Uh, it was ugly. We'll get into it. We'll get into some of the news around the team, some of the injuries, and, of course, give you guys a game preview of this week and uh, shed some much-needed optimism on this team because it got ugly real quick. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm happy to be here. Definitely two g- loving Giants fans who just love the Giants. And uh, I love this this podcast. I love talking Giants football. But sometimes it's so hard to do. We're going 0-3 and losing to the Falcons on a game-winning field goal from Youngway Koo. It's a heartbreaker. But, um, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, listen, that's the beauty of being a fan, though. Sometimes you can, you know that the Giants are going to rip your heart out, but what are you doing? You're sitting on the edge of your seat every single week, and you come right back to it and just Absolutely. ready to do it all over again. It's the beauty of sports, the beauty of fandom. But, uh, yeah, let's get kind of into this game with Atlanta, a 17-14 loss, as we mentioned, because Koo hits that field goal late in the game. Uh, I guess we'll start on a positive note, first of all. I mean, what were a couple of things from this game that you took away that were really, like, positives and hopefully stick with the Giants as they move into the middle part of their season? Well, I think first things first, got to take a look at Daniel Jones. And for the first time in his career, for the first three games of the season, he has not thrown an interception. By this time last year, he threw four already. So I think that's definitely a positive. He's starting to learn how to take care of the ball a little bit better. And um, you know what? I, I love to see that out of a guy like Daniel Jones because you know he works so hard. He is in that captain role. You know, he, he's, he's going to take advantage of his opportunities. And I hope that he continues to do so throughout the rest of the season. But um, another thing is Kadarius Toney played uh, 66% of offensive snaps. Now, that might be because of Darius Slayton going down and because of Sterling Shepard going down. But still, it's just it's something I like to see that Kadarius Toney's getting a little bit more involved. Yeah, I'll start with Daniel Jones here. Just a lot more poise in the pocket than we've seen in years past. Definitely he's taken a step in that regard of ball security and stuff like that. Being able to throw the ball away or even sometimes taking a sack and kind of like burning a dead play when it's there rather than try to make something out of completely nothing and make a mistake in that sense. Uh, Yeah, but I I just think the surrounding cast maybe is letting him down a little bit. I thought that maybe last year a lot of people could point the finger to Jones and this year at an 0-3 start. It doesn't like it's not that way. You can't point the finger at Jones for it being his fault, which I think ultimately brings up like an interesting point on Daniel Jones's potential future with the Giants. I think one of the worst case scenarios with the Giants could be them have a bad year this year. But Daniel Jones look good enough that they're not sure if they want to move on from him as your franchise quarterback, because, you know, what I'm like going into this year it was almost like Daniel Jones's make or break year. So it was as the team goes and you would think as the team goes like Daniel Jones would also go. You know what I mean? But if they go in opposite directions, I, I don't know. I don't think that's a good thing necessarily for their future and the Giants franchise future. I think that would put them in a tough, tough predicament. Yeah, like I, when you look at Daniel Jones, like like I've watched film on the guy. I've seen the guy play, obviously. I think, honestly, from looking at other quarterbacks in the NFL, he throws one of the nicest, tightest spirals within the NFL. And as a receiver, like the Giants receivers got to love that. Catching a nice, tight spiral is one of the best feelings in football. But – like, if we were to let go of Daniel Jones, I would be, first of all, extremely upset. I do believe in the guy. I think he's going to be good for the future for us. But, like, you also have to look at the value that he brought. Because he was the number, what, six pick overall in that draft? Mm-hmm. Like, just to just to see that go, that, that would be such a waste for me. And to see all those other guys in the draft get taken, too. Like, we could have done so much more if we were going to let him go. So that's why I think that we need to keep him. You know, he brings so much value to the team. 
He's a team guy. He's our team captain. And he's playing great. What I really want to see happen is if this season does go down in shambles, I, I need to see Jason Garrico. That's that's the one thing that, that I think I need to see. But um, Daniel Jones, I think, needs to stay. He's shown his toughness. He's shown how much he loves this team. And he can lead us to special places. Running over Grady yeah. Jarrett, by the way, was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that as well. Like, I love to see that toughness out of Jones on that two-point conversion, literally running right through him. You don't see a lot of quarterbacks do that. But you're right, Jones does know one of the best balls, if you ask me, in the NFL. He's starting to kind of put it all together. I think he is the last of, like, if the season were to go to shambles, it would be, like, Garrett first, and then Gettleman, honestly, and then Jones would be, like, the third one to go, if you want to say. But, listen, that's more of a conversation for later in the year. We're only technically going into week four, still early, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh I'll go back to one of the former points that you mentioned about Kadarius Tony getting a lot of snaps. He still didn't get a ton of touches. He got like touches on back-to-back plays, and he looked good in them. Like on that third down play, he makes a nice little mm-hmm. like like a juke move on him. Oh, really? I mean, kind of like stepped back on him almost. But listen, yep. it worked. I mean, again, it just goes shows you how shifty he is. Um, so yeah, he he didn't get the ball though. Really, I think he only had like three targets after three like targets, total. So yeah, you know what I mean. And, yep. So, exactly. They kind of got phased out after that, which, again, when you're losing Slayton and Shepard, you'd think you'd get him the ball a little more. And with Kenny Galladay a little banged up, they promoted Colin Johnson from the practice squad to the 53-man roster. And Colin Johnson gave them some uh, good run at receiver this week. Uh, former third-rounder out of Texas was on the Jaguars. They cut him this past offseason. But, yeah, for a guy who really was thrusted into a tough role, like I said, not really a ton of reps with the first team in practice. I thought he held his own for sure, and I'm uh, – if Slayton and Shepard, again, are out this week, which it looks like it, I think that Johnson could, again, give the Giants some good snaps at receiver. Yeah, man, I I definitely hope that – Um, obviously, I hope Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, I hope they get back on the field. But, like, in the meantime, I don't see why Colin Johnson can't do his, do his part. You know, he had seven targets, five receptions, 51 yards. And, you know, that's averaging about 10 yards a catch. Like, I, I think Colin Johnson can get it done. I saw a couple nice plays, nice catches he was able to make in the game. But, um, yeah, back to Kadarius Tony. I, we, Jason Garrett needs to get him involved. It's interesting, actually, right here. Sterling Shepard also had the same stat line. Three targets, two receptions, 16 yards. And, like, for a guy, Kadarius Tony was in for most of the game compared to Sterling Shepard. So that kind of is a little mind-boggling if they had the same targets kind of stat line looking there. But I need to see Kadarius Tony getting the ball more, man. That's that one screenplay that he had. He was juking out defenders left and right. I think it was actually Deion Jones he juked out on one of those plays. You know, he's he's got ability, and it's it's clear it, it it's clear as day. Like we just need to get him the ball, and I I really hope we do so against the Saints because we're, we're gonna need we're gonna need all the help we can get. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the roles I thought maybe Tony would play as the season went on, but with Devontae Booker this past week was a surprise inactive, which that's a whole different story. The fact that he's getting paid like $3 million this year and he's already inactive in week three is just brutal. I know it was because they wanted to have an extra receiver because Galladay was banged up at practice, but still, again, you're paying $3 million to a backup running back who now you're not keeping active for your, and your starting running back is coming off an ACL tear. I think that's absurd. But with that, I thought maybe, oh, Kadarius Tony could get used out of the backfield or something. You know what I mean? He's gotten carries in Florida. Like I said, he, used to, he, was, uh, he was recruited to Florida as a quarterback, so it's not like he's not used to being back there. You know what I mean? 
but he didn't. They used him in the backfield literally on that one play to catch a screen at him, which again was good. But yeah, why can't we just give Kadarius Tony carry like a couple carries? I'm not saying give the guy eight carries a game. Give him two touches out of the backfield. Give him one of those little jet passes that like the Chiefs, you know, you know what I'm saying? A little shovel. And why can't we do that to Kadarius Tony? Exactly. Give it a chance. That's all I'm asking for. So uh one of my yeah, that was I guess one of the things that I was against in a sense with like Booker being inactive, them not using that. But let's kind of get into some of the other uh, bad things that happened in this game. And let me tell you something, buckle up because there was a bunch of them. <laughs> I guess we'll start unfortunate on the unfortunate side with the injuries. I mean, losing Blake Martinez, Darius Slayton, and Sterling Shepard in a game will never help. Um, I guess we'll focus on Martinez here because he's probably the watch what he's done for the year with a torn ACL. I mean, what a shame. Tate Crowder will take over as the starting middle linebacker. But yeah, Giants leading tackler last year, the leader of their defense in the middle, a guy who just came over from the Green Bay Packers uh, in the 2020 offseason. So yeah, Blake, like I said, kind of built, not like built, our, like our defense revolves around him is what I should say. So him going out is a brutal, brutal blow for a unit that honestly was okay on Saturday, on Sunday. They probably played their best game of the year. Yeah, Blake Martinez... He's a jack of all trades. Like he can do so many different things. He he knows what's going on within his defense, which number one is the best thing for a middle linebacker. He knows what everybody else is doing. He takes care of his own responsibility, of course. But like with that, like the fact that he tore his ACL was heartbreaking for me. I know he's a captain on this team. I know he is the defensive leader along with Logan Ryan and all those guys. But yeah, like Blake Martinez, he's got so much ability, tackling leader in the NFL. It's just it's so hard to see a guy like that go down and uh, breaks my heart. Yeah. So obviously we'll talk a little bit more about Martinez and we'll get more into the receivers injuries because those look more on the short term side in a bit. But I want to kind of stay more focused on this game and get more into some of that stuff. Novello, there were a lot of bad plays on the defensive side of the ball, as much as I could say them playing well on it. I guess I'll signal out first, like Quidaro Patterson gave them so much trouble out of the backfield. And I mentioned this. That's such a big threat because you play Alvin Kamara this week, who is a better receiving threat out of the back than Cordero Patterson. They couldn't cover him on that last drive. That he had a huge play. Uh, he called like he was lined up a receiver. But he called like a, a big screen pass, uh, broke a tackle from Rodarius Williams. Stuff like that can't happen uh, in the red zone. Um, like their red zone defense, they take a bad penalty on third down or whatever that set up the Falcons' second touchdown. Uh, Adoree Jackson's dropped interception as well on that drive. I mean, again, just missed opportunities by this defense at clutch times. Ultimately, like I said, I don't think you can really point the finger to the defense that much. But again, it's just like they, the Giants have like such untimely defense. Like when it is a big moment, they absolutely quiver and are nowhere to be found. And like one thing that that's not a lot of people know, but like the Giants before halftime are giving up points, and that's a huge problem, like, on the team. Like, for the entire first half, they actually kept the Falcons. All four of their first drives were all punts. Their fifth drive, which was right before um, the two-minute warning, they ended up scoring after that. They got a touchdown. And, like, letting up points before halftime is just such a killer going in. Like, going into the locker room knowing you just let up a touchdown, like, that's just a killer. And, like, the the Adoree Jackson dropped interception was – was was it for me like I don't these opportunities that we are not taking advantage of is the reason that we're losing these these close games like you just look at all like the Darius Slayton drop and the Dory Jackson's drop and then James Bradbury getting the pick two weeks ago and then not capitalizing on it there these are the reasons that we're not winning these games and like it like everybody says like 
oh, if you just took out like three to five plays within the game, like we would have won. Like, yeah, of course, like three to five of the most important plays that were going on. You guys lost out on that opportunity and messed up that play. So like if, if we're if we want to win any game this season, those three to five plays need to start going our way. Yeah, I think you make a great point there with those plays or something. It seems like all those plays that are going against the Giants, in a sense. So, Adoree Jackson, I won't give him as much, like, slander him as much. Because, like, to be fair, it wasn't his guy. But you got to make the catch. You know what I mean? Adoree Jackson will even yeah. tell you. I mean, the guy, when he used to be at USC, used to play, like, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, you just have to do everything. Yeah, have to make that play, Adoree Jackson. No excuses there. But, yeah, you mentioned on that scoring drive, too, by Atlanta. I think the defense did get shafted, in a sense, because – Xavier McKinney got mm-hmm. called for like a uh, personal foul, which if you was not like it was so obvious that it was a shoulder, he didn't go to his head. So yeah. that didn't help at all, giving uh, an extra 15 yards there. But you mentioned right before the half, which gets me into another part that I wanted to say that I was disgusted with. Uh, Evan Ingram was back on Sunday and he was back in his midseason form, fumbling a ball with like 30 something <sighs> seconds left in the half, one, which almost. Yeah, yeah, 130, excuse me, which almost set up the Falcons then again. To score, thankfully, they also got a, they also forced Matt Ryan to fumble. But again, it's our Pro Bowl tight end. Apparently, I'll put a big asterisk next to that. Finally, gets back in our what you call it in our game, like healthy, and in a game where you lose Sterling Shepard and you lose Darius Slayton, somebody had to step up with Kenny Gotti a little banged up, and it's like, come on, Evan Ingram, like this again was your chance, and what do you do? You like literally fumble the ball and fumble the bag, fumble the opportunity again. So. He's on a contract year. I'm so I, – I mean, I really don't think it's a tough decision what they're going to do with him because it just hasn't worked in New York. Just a lot of uh, shoulda, coulda, wouldas with Evan Ingram, if you ask me. Yeah, like it, it almost was the picture-perfect opportunity for Evan Ingram to, like, come in and finally do something for the Giants. Like Sterling Shepard going down, Darius Lane going down, Kenny Galladay, like, banged up, like you said. Like, it was almost a picture-perfect opportunity for the guy. And exactly what you said, he just, like, fumbled the bag. I hope that he could figure it out because I know he, he is one of those leaders in the locker room. Like, I, I'm not sure if he's a captain, Pio. Is he a captain? He's not. He's not a captain. But I know he's, like, one of those big leaders that some people look to on the offensive side of the ball. And, like, when you're that guy, you can't be letting down your team in, like, ways like fumbles or drop balls in Evan Ingram's case also. Like, He's the guy that people look to, especially when some people go down. You're looking to Evan Ingram to make a play, and he's just failed on being that guy multiple times, and I'm fed up with it. Yeah, listen, I like Evan Ingram and, like, what he brings here in the locker room and stuff like that, and also just, like, his talent, man. There's no denying it that, like, like he should be. Like, I, I don't know. There's just, like, a lot of, again, like – the production just gets lost on the field. Like I love being a good tight end, especially one that could be a mismatch nightmare in the slot, force defensive coordinators to think, oh, I can't put this linebacker on him, but if I put the safety on him, he's too small and stuff like that. And that's a chance. I I hold Evan Ingram to a very high standard, which is why I think I'm a lot harder yeah. on him than maybe I could be or maybe I am than other people. But again, it's just because, again, you're a former first-round pick, and I see that you can be so talented and work so well on this offense. But again, when it's just not happening, I'm just like left to question. And it, it's just like simple, like simple mistakes, like dropping the ball, fumbling the ball. You know what I mean? Like that, like that stuff that you we, we can fix with consistency. That's what frustrates me the most. Yeah, um, you know what's like interesting about that is like when the Giants drafted Evan Ingram, you know who else was also on the board who me personally, who I wanted the Giants to take? was O.J. Howard. Mm-hmm. And I remember that, and I'm like, oh, I really, I, I didn't know who Evan Ingram was, honestly, 
when they drafted him. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? And then they were showing his film. Looks pretty good. But originally, I wanted O.J. Howard. And that that hurt to see O.J. Howard now go to the Bucks and do what he's doing over there. But, yeah, go ahead. Let's move on to the next topic here. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Howard went like a couple picks before Ingram. Njoku went after. See, point still stands. You know what I mean? You miss out on O.J. Howard. That's the moral of the story. But uh, another thing that I want to mention that if you ask me absolutely sucked this past weekend, our red zone offense. I mean, twice we get into the red zone and stuff like that. Or three times we got into the red zone. I'm talking about the two times we didn't score a touchdown. One of the times, there's a bad snap. And then the other time, we take a sack that puts us like 18 yards away from the end zone. Which again, it's just mind-boggling to me how when we get into the red zone, everything on the offense, it just stops. Like We, we just don't have a red zone offense at all. We don't. I It, it blows my mind again how a team... Like they, uh, f- please figure something out because it's gonna drive me crazy. How we just leave four points on the board every time when we have to settle for field goals in the red zone. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I'm looking at all right. So we got the first drive here, first drive of the entire game. We go 73 yards, end up with a field goal. It's an it's an 11 play drive, pretty good drive, lasts about five minutes. Then our third drive, the Giants' third drive of the game, it lasts seven minutes and 38 seconds, 15 play drive, and we're just ending up with field goals again. And, like, when you're – first of all, when you're doing – when you're 0-2 fighting for basically the entire season against the Atlanta Falcons, need something needs to be done to score a touchdown, clearly. Like, we – the Giants, what frustrates me so much is that we will put ourselves in good opportunities. We just will not take advantage of those opportunities. And you could just see – like, having these two first field goals, okay, you know what, whatever, we can move on. But then the next – Three drives that we have, they last three plays, two plays, and then one play. The one play was the end of the half. Daniel Jones took it. But um, still, like, we just need to do something with the football. We put ourselves in positive opportunities. Just take advantage and finish out drives. And, like, we were able to finally see that in the, in the fourth quarter. Oh, I'm sorry, in the third quarter when the Giants scored that touchdown. Daniel Jones got the two-point conversion. But – it's just frustrating when we get ourselves in a good opportunity in the red zone and we don't take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the drive length, like uh, an 11-play drive and a 15-play drive. Like those, those can't end in field goals. They just can't. You know what I mean? Like if you're gonna have a ball, they, they cannot. That it's almost a win in a sense for the Falcons. Like you, you didn't even succeed because the Falcons held you to three points. Especially by the time you get to the red zone and they hold stand, like force these defenses to break. The Giants live to bail out defenses in that sense that I'm just Absolutely. like not putting them away. Another thing that I do want to talk about just shortly that I didn't like in this game, like there was one time where it was like fourth and four from the 39-yard line and we're punting the football away. I don't love that move at all. First of all, we have Graham Gano who, if you want to attempt a 56-yarder, all right, I like it. I think Graham Gano can definitely hit it. Obviously, Joe Judd knows his kicker a little better. But why are we not even going for it? I mean, you see every other team like – a lot of teams trust like the analytics and stuff like that. They'll go for it there, which would tell you there that you should. And then Joe Judge really in his press conference this past week said something along the lines of like uh, to respond to a question about do you like analytics or stuff like does it affect your thinking in football games? And he was like, well, uh, if Excel could win football games, Bill Gates would be like amazing or something like that, yeah. which I don't know. Listen, 
you look at the organizations that implement the or that are more analytical. I know like the Baltimore Ravens these past couple the years have been really big with it. The Chiefs, the Rams. It, it's just no coincidence. You know what I mean? You yeah. listen. You cannot like analytics. There's a difference between completely the like throwing a cold shoulder to it though and implementing some of the stuff that is worth it because again there are still it's still the numbers there will still be easier answers to some of your questions and to have like that complete like to be so cold to it in a sense i don't know i'm speaking of analytics like it's a real person or something like that it, like i don't know i just think that's like a bad attitude to take it's just it's another tool at your disposal that you're not taking advantage of if you're just like so against it and you know what like that's that's such a good point that you bring up with the rams the chiefs and the ravens like they use the analytics to their advantage. But, like, when you look at a guy like, like Jason Garrett, who runs our offense, like, I, I, I personally view the way that he plays offense is it almost seems as he's too good for the analytics. Like, that almost is, like, the kind of vibe that he's giving me. Like, him and Joe Judge are kind of giving me that vibe that, oh, they don't, they don't need the analytics. We're going to go by our playbook, and we're going to do what we do. And that's it. Like, but when you're – when you look at these teams like the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Ravens, like like you see them succeeding off of these like analytical decisions on these these fourth and shorts, and like some decisions that they're making, like I don't see why not we're taking similar decisions that they take. Like you should almost, like Jason Garrett should almost look up to them in a way because Jason Garrett is clearly not doing something right, and those teams are doing something right. So honestly. I, I wasn't aware of that analytic statement until about yesterday when we were talking about it, but um, they got they have to do something different. So I mean, get get some sort of analytics involved. Take advantage of the fourth and shorts, especially. What'd you say, the 39 yard line? That's disappointing. Mm-hmm. That's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, that's just again, you're punting on the third on the Falcons 39 yard line. You're just again giving them so much momentum in a sense that oh, they're not even like confident in their team like even think about what that tells your offense like that's almost like a lack of like confidence and support behind them but yeah, yeah you mentioned joe judge is a little bit more like on the old school philosophy so it works a lot with jason garrett again who another old schooler but yeah maybe like the line of thinking has to change a little bit there and we gotta kind of modernize in that sense i don't know if judge and even jason garrett are like I, they can still implement a couple of pieces. I'm not saying that I want them to go complete nerd on me and then bring up yeah. a bunch of different numbers and stuff like that. But I still think that like they have to embrace it to a hair. I know Dave Gettleman also does not embrace it really at all, which also does not help. But that's yeah. a completely different story, and that might lead us into a couple questions later in the year when we're talking about uncertainty with their futures and stuff, and maybe when they're looking to hire new people, mm-hmm. we should be looking for. Um, from that standpoint, but uh, let's move off this game. Thankfully, you know what I mean. Yeah. I think we talk about this game anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure again. But um, let's move on. We mentioned Blake Martinez with the injuries. Let's move on to some of the other injuries that will affect us for this week. I know obviously Martinez out for the year, but hopefully guys like Shepard, Slayton, and even Ben Bredesen can come back at some point in the season. But it doesn't look like it's going to be this week, Novello. All three of them mispracticed yeah, Thursday, and they mispracticed as well on Friday. Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, I guess we'll start with first on the offensive side of the ball. Both hamstring injuries. I know people were even mentioning to Joe Judge and stuff like that, attacking him and being like, oh, well, maybe if you guys weren't conditioning so much at practice and stuff like that, this wouldn't happen. Judge refuted that claim. Um, but, yeah, I mean, losing two of your top three receivers, I guess, to this point in the season, because Tony hasn't really been a factor at put Slayton above him, at least for this season. I think you're making life real hard on Daniel Jones going against a tough defense against the Saints, who will probably shadow uh, Kenny Galladay with Lattimore all day. So, I mean, 
you would love to see one of these two guys get on the field, but I don't know. It just doesn't look likely. Yeah, you know what? Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, both seeing them go down with hamstrings. I can see why people have been accusing Joe Judge of all the conditioning and all that. But when it comes to the hamstring, it's no joke. If if they if they need to sit out for a while so that they can play later on in the season, like and that's what they got to do. That's not the decision I make. That's the decision that the athletic trainers, Joe Judge, makes. Um, but, yeah, like I really hope that we could see guys like Colin Johnson, Kadarius Toney get out there and, and do something against the Saints defense, kind of like not replace them in a way because those are some difficult guys to replace. The way Sterling Shepard plays, his toughness and everything and Darius Slayton's deep threat ability. But I just hope that Kadarius Toney can finally come out of his shell that Jason Garrett's been keeping him in. And then Colin Johnson, do your job, get the job done, and uh, hopefully they could have some success this weekend against the Saints. Yeah, man, it's almost like, I mean, you're not a baseball guy, so you want to know, like, the Yankees' bounce has always been the past couple of years, like, next man up in a sense when these injuries go down. Come yeah. on, Giants, let's embrace that stuff about, like, somebody's got to step up and do your job there. Uh, I mentioned Ben Bredesen as well. He hurt his hand this past week. Like I said, hasn't practiced all week. Uh, if he's unable to go at left guard, the Giants would be looking at their fourth different left starting left guard this year in four different games, which for an offensive line that was already bottom five in the NFL coming into the year, that is just what you don't want to hear. Because again, if your starters are one of the worst five, then your backups are even worse. And then even like, you know what I mean? Yep. You need some cons- like offensive line too. It's so big to have like that consistency and playing together and all that when it comes to like pickups on stuff with blitzes and that. So you need to continuity on that offensive line. And there's anything but that in the Giants, which again, not only is your offensive line not good, now you have a ton of moving parts there. That's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, but one thing I do want to bring up is this Isaiah Wilson signing. I know Ben Bredesen, you know, if, if he's not able to play, then we're going to have to put somebody in. But this Isaiah Wilson signing is really interesting. He was drafted 29th overall by the Titans in 2020 and came out of Georgia. He was one of the best-ranked offensive tackles in that draft, which is really interesting to see him get cut. I believe he went to he went to the tight. Well, he was drafted by the Titans, then he went to the Dolphins, got cut, and now he's getting signed with us. Like, I hope he could get it together. That's you know some promising talent. It seems like hopefully he could get it together and finally be that professional offensive tackle that he always wanted to be that would be huge for our offensive line yeah listen I was big when they signed Isaiah Wilson because again well first of all like the Giants offensive line is lacking talent so when you bring in a guy who was a former first round pick just a year ago then it's like yeah obviously I think it's a no-brainer a couple interesting notes on this like you said he was kind of out of football these past couple months so he's really on the practice squad I'm not sure when they're going to promote him to the to the 53-man roster. I'm sure it's going to be sooner rather than later, but obviously he has to get more into football shape. He had a couple off-the-field issues, which is what ultimately led to his dismissal in Tennessee after only one season. I actually think he only played like eight snaps in Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken, which is wow. crazy. Which, I mean, you talk about some of the most unproductive first-round picks for your, like, by a team, the Titans, and picking Isaiah Wilson might be one of them. But listen, for our sake, I hope uh, he does turn it around. He's a local kid. He went to high school in the uh, – he went to – Poly prep in the high, yeah so you know what I mean that's right right over here um their offensive line coach actually the Giants is Rob Sale and he was the offense he was I don't know exactly what his position was at Georgia but lo and behold he was the guy who recruited Isaiah Wilson to Georgia to play on that offensive line so I think that's interesting the guy knows him uh more than almost better than anyone else obviously Wilson did also play college football with Andrew Thomas who was our left tackle which yeah. again you like that little connection and stuff like that. So there's a lot of 
like familiar faces around Wilson, which I think will help him hopefully. And yeah, like I said, I think this is a good like bet on a guy who obviously has a lot of talent. There is a little like area of concern, but at this point with the Giants, especially with their offensive line situation currently, like you'll take those question marks right now if he can, and you'll take and you'll take that risk because if he can get right and get back onto the field and what people thought he would be coming out of college, you could be you could have a real special offensive lineman on your hands. I mean, the guy's like six eight, three fifty, I believe. Too. He's yeah, a six seven, three fifty. He is yeah. huge. So, I mean, you talk about a guy who I'd love to get on, like, down blocking in the run game. Oh, my goodness. But I guess we're going to have to wait and see. Like I said, I think his debut will come a little bit down the line. Whereas the guy who they signed off the Washington football team's practice squad, Wes Martin, I think has more of a chance to step in right away. He, uh, 2019, I believe he was a fourth-round pick out of Indiana. He started 10 games there. Kind of lost out a battle last year. They thought that he might be the starting left guard. He ultimately wasn't. I think it's the Giants trying to take a chance on maybe a, uh, like a flyer guard, kind of similar how they did with Ben Bredesen from the Ravens, hope that the change of scenery helps. Yeah, I'm all for it, I guess. But this is not the ideal way to build an offensive line, signing people off people's practice squads. Yeah, I mean, especially going into week four, like signing people off people's practice squads just kind of shows like, like I guess – Dave Gettleman, like I know you trusted in those guys to play offensive line for us, you know, those those five that we had from the summer and from the spring. But like, look at where we're at now. And that's that might be a testament to Dave Gettleman's, you know, lack of attention to the offensive line. He just said, you know what, we're going to believe in these guys and that's going to be it. But like when you like, did you really prepare those guys for everything that was going to happen? You know, Nick Gates going down. Nobody expected that. But like. Did we have backups ready to go? Probably not. So now we have to sign guys off people's practice squads who basically have to learn the playbook within about a week if they want to get on the field. And they might not get on the field, of course. They might start off with the practice squad and all that stuff. But to sign people, you know, for our offensive line off of practice squads, it is a little um, it's a little scary. But these chances, I guess I'm willing to take right now as a Giants fan and looking at our offensive line. So. Yeah, I mean, especially when you have your quarterback in a make-or-break year, I don't think the best plan is to put a guy who has learned your playbook for four days in front of him to block for him. I don't, I don't think so. No. Uh, so I'm wondering who they're going to start this week at left guard. I mean, we mentioned like last week when there was a lot of guard trouble once um, those injuries happened and stuff like that. After Nick Gates went out, then like Matt Pert wasn't really ready to play guard, which again, I think it's like pretty crazy. Listen, I, I, I get the tackling guard. You know what I mean? It's not like as easy as it is just to move a guy inside and stuff like that. But you dropped a rookie in the third round last year. Now you have a bad offensive line. And like, I know it's a little unlucky that your guards are getting hurt, not your tackle technically, but the fact that Matt Pert still might not step on the field and start is like, I don't know. I think that it's might scary. say something about maybe what well, it is scary almost about what he could be in his progress and stuff like that. Matt Skura, I've mentioned him in the weeks past, the guy from the Ravens, he's predominantly been a center all his career. I'm guessing he's going to end up having to take reps at guard and stuff like that because he's got some like continuity with the playbook. I know it's only been like three weeks, but I, I that's your best bet. So left guard will definitely be a position to circle this week against a good Saints uh-huh. defense. That'll ultimately bring us into our game preview, Novello. They traveled to New Orleans the first game there since the hurricane, so I'm sure emotions will be high for the hometown Saints. Saints are 2-1. and one. They're coming off a big win in Foxborough against the Patriots where their defense really went to work. They had a pick six in that game. Meanwhile, the Giants are going to go down there shorthanded and stuff like that. Um, 
off the top of my head, I mean, is this the first game you think the Giants have played against New Orleans since that crazy game with, like, the Brad Wing? Um, I believe it was – I remember the last time the Giants played in New Orleans, Eli Manning and Drew Brees both scored about five touchdowns each. Yep, that's if the same If I'm not game. mistaken. Yep. All right. We're thinking. All right. So it has to because we're thinking the same game. Yeah. And I, even if it's not, I mean, that game was absolutely crazy. I think the finals yeah. were like, yeah, it was in the 50s. They went back and forth all day, Manning and Breeze. So hopefully Jones can have that luck. Uh, hopefully not Jameis Winston behind the ball. But uh, I guess one thing, like I said, we're going to things that we're hoping to see in this game. I have it in all caps right here. It's I'm like a yep. broken record, I feel like, with Kadarius Tony. You know what I mean? With two guys out which it's looking like in Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. Tony now has had a week to practice. You've had a week to install a game plan. I want – like the first 15 plays are normally always scripted in a game. I want at least three of those going to Kadarius Tony, or at least attempting to get him the ball in space and stuff like that. Because I mentioned earlier, Marshawn Lattimore is one of the best man-to-man corners in the league, and he he walks with people. So he will go to any side of the field to go cover Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay a little banged up too. Uh, has a recipe to be in a long day. I know Lattimore owns Mike Evans. And if you want to like compare like a receiver who like kind of built, I'd say Mike Evans and Kenny Galladay are a pretty good comp for their play styles and stuff like that. So we could be in a little bit of trouble there. But yeah, uh, what about you? What's something that you're looking for uh, early on in this game? One thing I'm looking for early on in this game is I want to see if Tay Crowder can handle running this Giants defense. And I know the secondary is kind of run by those guys, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, all those guys. But I want to see if Tay Crowder, and hold on, ready for this, Reggie Ragland can get it mm-hmm. done on the defensive side of the wall. I think our I think our front four also needs to get going. Leonard Williams has one sack through three games, pal. After all we've paid him, after that big contract, one sack through three games. I think he's got to get going. Aziz Ojolari. I believe he played 50% of snaps this past week against the Falcons. I want him to go out there and play 60 to 70%. I want him to get really involved in this game plan. I want to see these new guys play. I want to see Kadarius Tony play, Aziz Ojolari. And, again, I just want to see these linebackers. I want to see if they can really handle this defense. Take Crowder, the young buck. Yeah, you mentioned Ojolari. I actually, I don't think I mentioned him earlier. So, yeah, third sack – uh, three sacks in three games, so good for Ozilari. He was definitely yeah. on the good list this past week. Yeah, I want to see him on the field more. I think a lot of it will depend on game script and stuff like that because more of an uh, edge-rushing guy, like, you know what I mean? They probably don't want to keep him on the field in, like, um, rundowns and stuff like that. But Tay Crowder, yes, you're 100% right. All eyes will be pointed to him and the whole linebacker and core who will step in. Of course, Tay Crowder was added to the injury report yesterday with a hamstring injury. I'm not – like – I don't think he was limited, so I'm sure he's going to do everything in his power to go. I'm sure he'll probably end up playing, but again, something to a little to monitor a little bit. You mentioned Reggie Ragland as another guy again who will step in to one of those roles in the middle of the field. I would love to see Carter Coughlin, a guy who played yes, more on the edge last saying. year, but they were like they've been playing around with him in the offseason and in the preseason and moving him inside and stuff like that. I think he can give the Giants some good snaps inside. And again, a guy who maybe knows the playbook a little bit better than Ragland and stuff like that, a little mm-hmm. bit more used to playing with some of the guys. So I'd love to see them try to implement Coughlin in some sense into the middle of that defense. But you're right. I think uh, the front seven, there's a lot of what's going on. And like a lot of moving parts in a sense, because even with Blake, with Blake Martinez out, you know what I mean? That's your leader right there in your front seven yep. and stuff like that. Leader really your old defense, but primarily your front seven. So the secondary has to go pick up the slack for that. You know what I mean? You're have still all your starters, 
Dory Jackson, James Bradbury, Logan Ryan, and Xavier McKinney. I mean, you and Jabril Peppers, I'll even give you as your fifth. You could say that five of those guys are easily your top 12, 13 players, maybe 15 if you're being generous. Those guys yeah. are the ones you have to lean on right now. Those guys are the are the like should be the better part of your defense. You have to step up big and you have to make this easier on everybody else who's playing. Yeah, absolutely. Those guys, those guys are legit back there in that secondary. I know they haven't been playing like it, but I know that they can, they could definitely get it together. I don't see why not. They could be one of the best secondaries in the league. What is it? The the NYPD they call themselves, New York Pass Defense or something like that. You know, I want to see them get going for sure. I, those guys are really good. I love the Dory Jackson pickup in the offseason. I want to see that really start to pay off. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. One last thing that I'm looking for on the defensive side of the ball. I'll go with get off the field on third down. Again, it hasn't. They have had untimely defense all year. So let's get off the field on third down. Let's start bending in the red zone and stuff like that. Don't give up easy touchdowns. But now more to a coaching standpoint. Um, one, let's get something working in the red zone. Because, again, it was so stagnant last week. Uh, one for three on touchdowns there. And the bigger thing, can we please, please, please stop <laughs> wasting time out? It's unbelievable it's- how we can – we call we first of all it's like we call a timeout and nothing good happens after a timeout. We either call a timeout and then we go offsides. We call a timeout or we give up a thirty yard play. We call a timeout and then we get a false. Like it's just unbelievable. Or or we just end up giving away a timeout because we challenge the scoring play, which cannot be reviewed. Or yes, that's that's also awesome. Challenge. I believe he challenged something in the Falcons game. What is he? What did Joe Judge challenge? He did challenge something early in the game. He lost it. I can't think. It was yeah, definitely. Right. I think it was like a catch or something like that. I can't think off the top of my head, but he definitely did lose it. I remember that. You're right. Yeah. Like what? Why are we wait? Why are we wasting timeouts? Keep those timeouts. Reserve them for those two minute drills before the before halftime and at the end of the game. Like these these things could help us out and put us in even better positions for opportunities that we need to take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, you can even say that like you didn't even give yourself a chance like last week against the Falcons because you had no more timeouts, so they're able to milk the clock mm-hmm. all the way down and who's able to hit a last-second field goal. But, uh, Novella, that kind of brings us into our prediction territory and stuff like that on what we think for this week. I mean, I'll give you a score, I guess, off the top of my head. Of course, I'm going to be biased. So I'll, go, I'll go 28-24 in favor of us. Uh, I don't say that with a ton of confidence, though, because I'm definitely nervous this week. <laughs> it's also relying us to score 28 points, which I think is absurd. But, uh, yeah, I'm gonna put on a brave face and uh, just watch them call. Just go, just go root for my guys and just hope, hope that something can find, like they can figure something out. Because like I said, you just had an easy stretch of your schedule that you kind of blew by going 0 and three, and now you're 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 in some trouble right now. So these games against the Saints, yeah, out here, the Saints are the Saints are they're a good team, but they're no stretch of the imagination if you ask me an elite team right now. I think yeah, it, it's a winnable game is what I'm gonna say. You know what? This is my score prediction, and I also have a super, super bold prediction that I'm going to throw in with it. I'm going to go with 24-21, Giants win. And I'm going to say that Kadarius Toney has two touchdowns. Two touchdowns for Toney. I mean, I love the alliteration on that, and I love the sound of that. I mean, that would be awesome. I don't know if that's being way too optimistic, but that's what I want to see, so I'm going to throw out a bold take on it i love it i love it but again like that's something that easily can happen again script them a couple plays in the red zone and stuff like that like i, I mentioned too like tony like he played like wildcat quarterback at florida because he was recruited to florida as a quarterback 
So I'm sure you could like implement some sort of package of Kadarius Tony taking a direct snap and running literally just a straight jet sweep and stuff. Like it's just something different again. So I'd love to see different from Jason Garrett and stuff like that. He needs to bring out more of his week two stuff and none of the week three stuff. I know his game plan probably got thrown off a little bit with all the injuries, but still, you know what I mean? Let's get interesting with this playbook. Let's open it up a lot this week. That's going to do it for today's episode. Novello, anything you want to leave off with? All hell in New York Giants. I think we're gonna have uh, we're gonna hear that a lot from you when I when I uh, leave you with some lasting words. But uh, yeah, <laughs> one o'clock in New Orleans. Uh, let's hope it goes better than this past week. And if not, uh, we'll be back here to um, shed some light on it and hopefully, like I said, provide some much needed optimism. But uh, that's gonna do it for today. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.